0: Okay, in Isaiah 40, and this, of course, is the prophet Isaiah, and he's speaking, he's speaking to uh, Israel, uh, God's earthly people. But again, we can glean so much of this, uh, so much. And of course, this is going to be what will happen ultimately uh, to them and for them. But he has beautiful truth here to counsel us with as his heavenly people. yet We're on this earth. Yes, we are. But there's a difference between the earth and Psalm 24 and verse 1. The earth, the physical earth, is the Lord's. But for now, through the rebellion and conflict of the angels and through the fall of man, on this earth right now, it is a system that is not of God. He's allowing that he's allowing it. That's why Jesus said in John 17 and verse 14, he said, I am not of this world. And that's the difference between the world and the world there's this particular age, time period, where the enemy allowed by God so that the lie has its full effect and, come, and in which it will come to nothing in First John 2 and verse 17. He is in the midst of that. He's leading us right through. And there's so much scripture truth that uh, that that goes into. And so Jesus himself said, I am not of this world, this particular world where Satan for now, and we are in this, we are in this world, meaning the whole world system is around us. But but it's not in us because we're in Christ. He took us out of that. He didn't yet take us off the earth, but he certainly took us out of this world system. The way that this, the way that Satan does everything for now, right now, in those that are not born again, that are under his control, and through those of us, when we do function in the flesh, even though the flesh is in us, we're not of it anymore, but we can function like the world, uh, like the world, even though we're not of it. And this is what God wants to encourage us with this morning. And that's what he was speaking to israel now he was speaking to israel through the prophet isaiah in isaiah 40 verse 1 and what he was saying was he the, the message was comfort you comfort you my people says your god and then it says he said speak comfortably and, and in the king james it says comfortably the hebrew says speak softly and and speak right to their heart i want you to speak heart to heart to them i want To use you, Isaiah, as a vessel for me to speak through you right to their hearts, face to face. I want them to to face me right now. And then you're to cry. You're to cry unto her that her warfare, her warfare, her appointed time, her warfare eh, is accomplished. Now we know for us, Christ has finished the work. In John 19, verse 30, that warfare, that conflict, and teaching us as he has dealt with our own conflict with him through the fallen nature, that Christ is our life now. But he's teaching Israel this, that your warfare is accomplished. Your appointed time is accomplished. And that her iniquity is pardoned. Her iniquity. And then it says, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So he doubled, doubly chastised her to bring her to a place. And that's what he does with his loving chastisement with us. And sometimes we need his loving chastisement when we begin to operate under the lie of the world system. And we begin to look at things by fleshly natural sight. And they began to dictate to us. And that's why so many times as we have heard that, and being taught through the word of God, that when you look to others and not Christ, you will be disappointed. And what that means this morning is, it's not your circumstances and situations, no matter what they may be. And it's not even the circumstances and choices of those that you love. Those that are Christ are to dictate to you how you're to be. You're not. You're not. Because he doesn't change. He doesn't change in who he is in us. And so he's, he doubly, here in this sense, he doubly chastises her. Loving chastisement. So that he can give her overwhelming double comfort. And that's what he's saying here. Then it says in verse 3, it says the voice of him that cries in the wilderness. Now, of course, this is, this is going into uh, John, the first chapter, where he, it's prophetic. And he's speaking about how John the Baptist would prepare and teach the people who were still Jews at that time to teach them, prepare you the way, make straight paths for the Lord because he's going to meet you. He's going to meet you. Now, we know this already. For us, as his heavenly people, has he already met us in Christ? Yes. Has he already dealt with all of our warfare? He has. Has he dealt with everything about us? Has he dealt with every circumstance, situation, every negative thing? Has he already dealt with all those things as far as the Bible's concerned? As far as what his grace and truth reveals to us? As far as his unconditional love and his word that never changes? Has he spoken that to us already? Is that already who he's made us to be in Christ? And it is. The voice of him and the voice, the voice was simply... The spirit of Christ using John Baptist, John the Baptist, and really John Baptist, to speak to Israel. And who is always the voice of God? It is the word. And who's the word of God? In John 1, 1, it is Christ. It is Christ. Now the voice of him, it, it cries in the wilderness. There's a cry. There's a speaking of the voice of God in the wilderness. See, the wilderness here, and we know this based upon the scriptures, and we can see it from Genesis, the fourth chapter, all the way here, and all the way to the time before we go home to be with Christ individually or raptured. The wilderness is always the world system. It's not the earth, but the wilderness is the world system under the control of satan the liar the father of all lies in john 8:44 and so the reason that we need constantly to have the preaching and teaching of the word in hebrews 4:12 it is to separate thinking in self-conscious fallen natural flesh versus who we are in christ so the word comes in and it separates it separates to keep us from functioning in the world system, uh, under the power of the world system, because Christ is our power, and He we are kept by his power in First Peter 1, 5, and Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. So, that's the voice that constantly speaks to us in the wilderness. Now... Are we in this world system? Was Did Jesus put on humanity? Impeccable humanity in John 1 and verse 14. He did. And he came right into this evil dark world system. That's what he did. He came in. But he said in John 17 and verse 14 that he was not of this world. That's the wilderness. That's, that's the wilderness. That's why he said in John 12, 31 and in John 14, 30, he said, The prince, the ruler of this particular world system, he says, has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. That's what Jesus was saying in John 17 and verse 14. I am not of this world. And then you and I in him, in John uh, 17 and verse 16, we are not of this world system. Who are we of? That brings in Romans 8 9. You see, the flesh is in us and it's always susceptible to function in this wilderness, worldly system under Satan. That's experience. He wants us, see, because Satan cannot touch our position. In Christ, and that's where we're headed right through this world system. He always goes after our thought life, meaning our condition or our present experience. What are we experiencing presently? And that's what he goes after. Now, it says here the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare you the way of the Lord, made straight in the desert, because that's what the world system's truly like it's like a, a desert. It's like a desert. Is there anything there of any value? And there really is nothing in that. Uh, uh, tomorrow, Monday, I want to. we want to get into uh, what it means, how that the Word of God uses certain things, like, for instance, water. And I want to talk about that. We'll see a lot in the Scriptures where it talks about water. It talks about rivers. And we're going to see in a detailed way tomorrow what God wants to just really establish in us this morning. Because remember, his voice, if you read Revelations, the first chapter, and you read in the book of Daniel, the voice of God, which is Jesus Christ, was like many waters. (laughs) Many, many waters. And waters can mean many, many different things. depending upon the context of where they are in the scriptures. But it says here, the voice of him that cries in in the wilderness, this worldly uh, wilderness place, this world system, you may prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now we already have Christ in us positionally. We're positioned in him. And positioned, we are already right now above everything in this world system. We are in Christ because He finished everything in John 4 and verse 34. His will was to do... to uh, to do... uh, to, to finish the work, it says, and to do the will of the Father. And He's already done that. So it makes it so important for us to submit our will over. Because if we don't, then we just function in natural fallen emotions mind, and our mind, lying thoughts, emotions. Then we function in uh, self-consciousness and in a conscience that, again, when we don't think in who we are in Christ, can be defiled. But is our conscience in Christ defiled any longer? No. To the pure, it says in Titus 1 and verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to them that are unbelieving... Even their conscience is defiled. Nothing is pure, and even their conscience is defiled. Is our conscience already cleansed in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2? Without a question about it. It already is. You see, the enemy through sight, through walking by sight in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, and not by faith that pleases God in Hebrews eleven six, he wants to continually to make us disappointed we thought we were going to get something from this individual it didn't come to pass get disappointed and then through those disappointments finally finally then i look into myself and when i do when i when i feel that my need is not being met by Ooh, I thought that God would meet it, I get disappointed, and then what do I do? I withdraw into self, and then what do I get? Discouraged. And that's what the enemy wants to do to each of us in our present experience. He wants to discourage us. Why? Because he can't change anything about our position. You can't change what Christ has accomplished for each of us. It cannot. It cannot change. We're brand new. Old things already are passed away in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. They're already brand new. He cannot touch our position, you see. So he goes after our experience. Now, God, when we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, we have a proper experience through being dependent You see, everything about this life where we are right now in this wilderness world system that we're not of is to teach us constantly dependence. Because when we depend, then I think properly in my experience based upon what my position is in Christ. And he doesn't change. He who is the foundation of us in Matthew 16, 18 and 1 Corinthians 3, 10 11, that foundation is immovable. But the enemy comes in and to trying to get us to be disappointed because we're looking to others to fulfill a need we think we have at that time. But is anything too hard for God in Genesis 18, 14? No, but it will return unto you at God's set time. And you will experience life, meaning you'll have a blessing. But it's going to be in God's time. But to be prepared, to be prepared, he has to prepare us to trust him by faith without any evidence by sight. We have the strongest evidence, and that is Christ who's for us, in Psalm 56 and verse 9 and Romans 8 and verse 31. What that means is God is so for what his son has accomplished for him and for us, will he ever change his mind now that Christ has done it? to him and for us as his individuals. He'll never change his mind. You see, that's our position. But the enemy comes in through lies in John 8, verse 44. So then we turn inward and then we get discouraged. Because when we look in self now, apart from Christ, what is there to see? Nothing but discouragement. And that's what the enemy wants to do. And he does it. And he'll, and the enemy tries to use God's perfect delays of his love and wisdom to, to, to make us to be discouraged when God is using that to prepare us for a blessing. Because we know in Proverbs 13 and verse 12, hope deferred, not like we're not going to get it, but hope deferred, and hope deferred there as we've been taught means it's, God stretches our capacity. So while he makes us wait, Who should we wait on? But only him who's going to bring in the blessing at God's set appointed time. And so he stretches our capacity because what he wants to bless us with is is not only for ourselves, but far more for others. That's what Proverbs 13 verse 12 says. Hope deferred, hope put off, stretch. He's stretching our capacity. You see, we in so many times we've been taught this. We go to God with a thimble. And he's got the ocean of his love, grace, mercy, and truth in his word waiting. So what does he have to do? He has to stretch our capacity. Hope deferred, put off, stretch, makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, and what that's teaching us is this is that when I don't wait on God for his desire in Psalm 37 and verse 4, and 37 verse 5, I don't roll all my care upon him, then it's a desire, the desire might be right. But it's not God's perfect timing yet. He still has to stretch our capacity. And so when these times of testing come in, The enemy comes in and in Daniel 7.25 where it says he speaks great words against the Most High. Do you know this? That when the enemy comes against us, truly who's he coming against? He's coming against Christ in us. And to what? He speaks great words against the Most High. Do, Do we think for a second that the enemy can speak great words against God himself and wear him out? Never. Never. Oh, but oh, how he speaks the word that causes us to interpret it to how we see things so that we can get disappointed and discouraged. Okay? And that to wear out the saints. That's what it says. He wants to wear us out. What all God is doing is stretching our capacity for a great blessing. Do you know it says, In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, it says, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the very heart, the very inmost place of man, the most intense desire, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God, listen to what it says, already has prepared for them that love him. But you know, they're given to us through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the teacher that teaches us when, where, and how. And how to wait for the perfection of God's love and wisdom. Because will he ever leave us? And while he causes us to wait, will he ever leave us or forsake us? In Hebrews 13, 5 and Joshua 1, 5, he never will. Oh, but the enemy, again, by sight, get disappointed get discouraged, get irritated, be suspicious. (laughs) All of those things, irritation and suspicion. Irritation is not of grace. Because what God gives us, there's never any irritation in it, ever, in Christ. And love is never suspicious. And those are the things that the enemy wants us to experience in the flesh through not trusting God completely. That's why it says in Proverbs 3 and verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means every thought, everything that you desire, you have to trust him because the desire might be wrong or it might not just be right then. But while we wait for him and his desire that he desires to accomplish in us, We have to wait. We have to wait. Because nothing exceeds the desire of God's love for us and the accomplishment of it. Nothing, nothing does it all. And so here, again, it's saying this is the voice that's crying in the wilderness. You see, we have Christ. He is the word of God. You know, that voice that was way back in the garden was Christ in his pre-incarnate state speaking to Adam and Eve. And watch how he dealt in Genesis 3, 8. They heard the voice of God walking in the garden. Well, who's the voice of God? Of course, in John 1, 1, it's the word of God. The word himself that put on humanity to identify with us and to go through everything and prepare us. He's our preparedness for everything, everything, no matter what it looks like by sight. You see, the whole world system under the, under the lying uh, prince and power of this earth and of this particular world system, he makes everybody go by sight. If you don't have enough of this, if you don't have enough of that. And the fact of the matter is, when we even realize, when Christ does finally come to judge this world system, And to change the the earth and to to prepare it for us to rule and reign, and millennial reign, even those that had the gold and silver. Isn't that what people worry about? Details of life. The gold and silver. The gold and silver. They They will take their gold and silver, trying to hide from the wrath of the lamb, and they go into caves and they throw their gold and silver to the bats. What, are the, what would the bats do with it? And what good is it to them? And what good is it to them that throws it to them? You see, <clears throat> that's why it says in Job 23 and verse 10 and 1 Peter 1 and verse 7, knowing that the trial of your faith is far more precious than gold. And he's in this sanctifying, separating process. He has to separate us from making those things be the thing that counsel us. But Christ himself is our only counselor. And so he says, to prepare the way, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And this is, he says, every valley will be exalted. Every place of humility. That's James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Who's the mighty hand of God? What has God the Father, never ever done outside of Christ. It, that's his hand. And Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it's not shortened that it cannot deliver us. It's just going to be at God's time. But while we wait for him to give us those temporary details and blessings, will he ever cause us to wait without him and without his love, his grace, his mercy, and his truth? He never will. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Never. He just never does. He never, never does and never will. Every valley will be exalted and every mountain which speaks of pride will be made low. The crooked, and this is what he's trying to teach us, the enemy gets us off the straight path in Proverbs 4 and verse 18. You see, it's a straight path that Christ has for us through this worldly wilderness. You'll see that in Psalm 23, 1 through 6. You see that beautifully in the types there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and everything about this world system has nothing to do with the life that Christ is in us in Colossians 3, 4. It all has to do with death, and they all live separated from God because they don't have yet Christ in their own individuality. And oh, how the enemy wants to cause us to live in our experience, just like those that he has deceived. And then, when we do make right decisions, and then he comes in and revel- he he deceives the whole world, in Revelations twelve nine. You think the world? They think the world's going to get better. It's going to be a utopia. Things are going to get better. Well, the Bible teaches us they're not. But we are already, in the book of Hebrews, far better off because we're in Christ and he's in us. Far better off. Not better than anyone, no. But better off because Christ is our true value. Listen, he's our true value system. And so, he's going to make the crooked straight. The areas where the enemy comes in gets us off the path of trusting him for everything. See, this didn't come in when you thought it should. That person let you down. Be disappointed. Do we feel it when our Christian brothers and sisters, they fail and make bad decisions? But should that be the cause of me being disappointed in my own life? Because if that's the case, then in Psalm 62 and verse 5, it says, My soul waits you upon the Lord. Listen, for from him comes my expectation. That person is not your expectation. What they go through should never be the cause of disappointment or discouragement in you. Yes, you may feel for them and pray for them, but trust him and rest in love. You rest in your own love. While you trust God, and prayer is always teaching trustful, restful dependence upon God. We know our prayers are right when we trust and rest in Him. You see, because God is still in control. He's in control of us. And so, He's going to make the crooked will be made straight or plain. The path becomes plain again. What does that mean? Well, I got detoured by a detail of life, by thinking I needed to have this need met when I thought it should be. I, got, I began to think crookedly based upon a lie. And then God comes in and lights me up and puts me right back on that path of light in Proverbs 4 and verse 18. Right back on there. And make straight, and, and shall be made straight, plain, a plain path. I see the plain truth. You see, my life isn't in the things that God gives me. No, my life is Christ himself in Colossians 3 and verse 4 and in 1 John 5 and verse 11. That eternal life is Christ himself. And so, and then the rough places will be made plain also. What are the rough places? Oh, this is too hard for me. This thing is too hard for me. You see, I think this thing, I think this thing is too hard and really, do you know, again, and we can see this again as we begin to uh, close this out this morning, where God just, again, wants to encourage us with reality. He wants to encourage us. What, what other, even though people we love deeply, what they go through, okay, okay, is never, it's never meant to be something from God that has a negative effect on us. It's just not. It's not. We pray and rest and trust God. Luke 19, remember the the parable here where he came and gave them each a talent? And he told them in Luke 19, 13, he said, with the talent be occupied till I come. That can be these blessings that God gives us. What do we use those blessings for? Just ourselves or they do they become something that will not just bless me but of course glorify God bless me and God will use those things to bless others well he said occupy till i come but we see but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying we will not have this man to reign over us you know that's what the flesh says and that's why the enemy wants to get us to function in the flesh i don't like god's way it's too hard it's too rough. I don't want it anymore. It doesn't have to be that way. They're not the only ones that have the truth. They're not the only ones that have the Word of God. Oh, Like it changes for this group of people and for this group of people. And of course, for any of us in Christ, it doesn't. Well, and it came to pass in Luke 19... Uh, 15, that when he had returned, having received the kingdom, and he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the what? Money. Why do we get, for, for the most part, us in Christ, we're, go, we're on our way to heaven. It's already dealt with Our Sins are paid for. In Psalm 103, verse 12, separated from us as far as the east is from the west. The old us is crucified, Romans 6. 1 through 10, completely. And we're to reckon on it in Romans 6, 11. That's already done. He has a place for us in John 14, 2 and 3, prepared for us to come and be with him. And that place is this intimate, beautiful fellowship that each of us are on our way to have in Revelations 2 and verse 17. Having done all of that, then what's the one thing that we as Christians will worry about? We don't have enough what? Money. We get disappointed. We get discouraged. When I rely on others, when I rely on others in areas of my life when it's not God, and when that stops, I get discouraged. I get disappointed and discouraged. And that's why many of us, many of us in the flesh, we go back. That's, and that's what the prodigal did in Luke uh, 15, 16, all the way down to verse 32. But God wasn't done with them yet. But sometimes he has to allow those that are his, that go back to this worldly, wilderness, worldly system, go back to the natural life. They have to. He has to bring them to the point of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. And you know, that's what those rags represent, that... the prodigal prodigal son had. And those rags are are brought out in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. It's self-righteousness. How I determine what my life is. Well, As we close it here, we see it came to pass that when he returned in Luke 19, 15, having received the kingdom, he commanded his servants to be called unto them to whom he had given the money, the pound, the money, that he might know how Much every man had gained by trading. Look, God just blesses us so we can settle down in the world and have a life of ease and comfort. I don't want the trial. I want to hear all about the love and grace of Christ, but I don't want to hear about the cross. And is there any even preaching of the grace and truth of Christ without the cross where it was accomplished? Well, if I don't glory... In the cross in Galatians 6 and verse 14, what it's done, and that's the teaching of the word in Hebrews 4 12 that does the separating, then I'm gonna glory in myself in the world system. That's what I'm gonna do. And that's what I'll go back to. This is any of us in the flesh. Whether we and, and again it starts inwardly, doesn't it? It's a thought life before it ever enters in, into any any kind of action. And so he wanted to see what they got by trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, your pound has gained 10 pounds. And he said unto him, good, you good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, have authority over 10 cities, ruling and reigning. We're going to rule and reign. Did you know that? And we're going to rule and reign. In 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3, we're going to rule and reign with angels, with Christ." as well as rule over all the nations during the millennial reign. That's where we're headed to, us, right now. Each of us, in him. And then 18, verse 18 of Luke 19, And the second came, saying, Lord, your pound has gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, you're going to be also over five cities. And another came, came, saying, Lord, here is your pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin because I feared you because you are an austere man. The austere here in the Greek is austeros, and it means that you you seem so rough. Your plan, God, it seems so rough and so hard. The path that you lead me to, it seems so hard and so rough. That's the way that I see you, God. I see you that way. You're an austere man. You take up that you, that you lay not down and you reap that you didn't sow. And he said unto him, out of your own mouth will I judge you. Now, this is not a born again person, but this is how that we can function in the flesh. You wicked servant, wicked you unbelieving servant, you knew that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid, that I didn't lay down and reaping what I didn't sow wherefore then give you my money into the bank that at my coming I might have required my own with usury in other words and then he said take unto them that stood by take from him the pound and give it to him that has 10 pounds take what this person is losing in their experience and that they don't continue they don't consider to be value and give it to another and he will do that he will. I think it's very interesting in Matthew eighteen twenty, where it says where two or three two or three are gathered together in my name my name which has to do with my person come on would we have a person had not Christ would we not have his person in his finished work had he not gone to the cross and been crucified and what was crucified there? Our old nature the whole old sin nature as far as God's concerned. But can we as Christians in Christ now go back to it in the flesh? I marvel at it. That's what Paul was saying through the, and the Holy Spirit through him in Galatians, the fifth chapter. Read it. I marvel at you. And again, in the third chapter of Galatians in verse one, who's bewitched you that you should stop obeying the truth and go back in your old fleshly natural life? It's just very incredible. Very incredible. Fact of the matter is, though, the words that Jesus is constantly speaking to us are words of comfort. Now, listen, they're words of comfort. I'm going to, this, God wants to make very clear to me and very clear to all of us this morning that there is no true comfort in this world system apart from suffering. The rough road where Christ leads us. We're not to. We're not. We're not to go back. We're to continue to go forward, and that's what it says in Galatians six. We see it in Galatians six, and we'll see it here. Galatians six. This is what it says in verse seven: Be not deceived. Be not deceived. Stop being deceived. He's speaking to Christians. Stop being deceived. Stop allowing the enemy to deceive you. You know to do good, and you're not doing it. You're still quitting. You know you're not to do it in James 4 and verse 17. And it's sin. And your sin is against God in Psalm 51 and verse 4. That's what what it is. It's not against a message or someone that preaches a message or against an individual. No. No. And some have said... I'm doing such and such, and I don't have anything against you. I'm not against you. I know that. But what you're doing, is it against God? Is it? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You cannot mock God. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh. Can we do that as believers? Yes. For he that sows to his flesh, will of the flesh reap what? Corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap life eternal. That's, spot, that's speaking proper image. And here he wants to speak this word to us. To us here in this local assembly here where two or three are gathered together, where two or three are, matters not. It does not matter one single bit. No. Two or three are a majority with Christ. That's what Matthew 18, 20 teaches us. Teaches it. that We're a majority. You know, one individual obedient with Christ, you're not a minority, you're a majority. But then you put two or three together, you just watch what God will do. You just watch what He will do. And that's what He wants men to do us as men and women to do in first Corinthians 16 13 quit you like men be strong that's what it's saying here don't go back to the flesh don't go back to corruption no no especially men especially men and boy how he wants to get men men to be dis, to be disappointed to be discouraged but here he says in first 1 corinthians 1630 watch you have an expectation. Trust God in prayer. Watch. Watch. You never know when Christ is going to come back. It'd be the twinkling of an eye like this. In 1 Corinthians 15 51 and 52. And in 1 Thessalonians 4 13. And we're to comfort each other with these words comfort in verse 18. We're to be comforted. And this is what he says. In 1 Corinthians 16.13, watch you stand fast, immovable in the faith. All those things that you've been taught, continue to go forward and grow in them. Don't go back. Quit you like men. Continue to be like men. Be strong. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1, Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Will God ever give me uh, grace to live in the flesh, to live in sinful places? Will God ever give me grace to go back to the flesh? He never will in Romans 6, 1 and 15. But he said, the apostle through the Holy Spirit through him said to Timothy, a young pastor, you listen, you be strong in the Lord. Yeah, the whole world is going this way. It seems like all of other Christianity is going this way. But you as an individual, you be strong in the Lord. Watch you, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. And then when you are through grace, you will let all things be done with a self-sacrificial love. You will. And so, here again, and I believe this is the last time I'm closing. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. In Galatians 6, 7, For whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. For he that sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit allows himself to be taught by the Spirit the things of Christ and to continue to lead him on a plain path and not get off sidetracked in the crooked path of the flesh. They will reap the eternal life. They'll reap that. Here's what he wants to speak to us. Speak to it to men and to women. And let us not be weary in well-doing. Really, well-doing here is good works. The flesh is good? No, the good works... That God has prepared for us through Christ as individuals. That's Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Specifically, verse 10 of Ephesians 2. Let us not be weary in good works. Listen, and this is the lie of the enemy. It's not going to happen. I've waited so long. I've been patient. I've been patient. Yes. For in due season we will reap if we faint not. What's it mean to be faint? Go back to the flesh again. Go back to the lying thinking again. Go back. If we faint not. If we faint not. And then finally here in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We see this very, very clearly. All through the scriptures. And this is the voice that God's speaking to us while we're in the midst of the wilderness. This worldly wilderness. And we're in it, but we're not of it. Nope. We are of Christ in Romans 8, 9. No, that we are, and that we see again in in Second Timothy, uh, Second Thessalonians rather. Second Thessalonians it says this Second Thessalonians verse twelve says, Now them that are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ, by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But you, brethren, this is us, but you, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Don't be weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man. Try and win him. Try and convince them. Well, the Holy Spirit's the one that does the convicting and the convincing. We see that in John 16, 8-11 to guide them into all truth in, in verses 13 and 14. Right? But what? Note that man and have no company with him, meaning you can't fellowship with him. That he may be ashamed. And hopefully that shame will turn him back to proper obedience. Yet count him not as an enemy. Gosh. See that? This is not been... This is said... Say So say any of us backslide, any of us fail in the flesh. Are we to treat them as an enemy? When we see that they're doing wrong, are they an enemy? No. No. Don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And when you can't admonish him to bring him to a place of fellowship, you're to note him, and not you can't have fellowship. You can't. Now it says... In verse 16 of, of 2 Thessalonians 3. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Notice that. Always, by all means, look at what it says. The Lord is with you all. He doesn't leave us nor forsake us. There's nothing about there's nothing on this earth right now. Well, it's a worldly wilderness because of the, the chaotic system of Satan. Because no order, there's no order whatsoever. But because of that, because of that, we have, we have in the midst of it, we have this tremendous peace. And there is nothing for now, all of us, on this earth, in this worldly system. See, the earth is the Lord's. Psalm 24, verse 1, the physical earth. But right now, there's a system that's made it a worldly wilderness and a desert place. We're in it, but we're not of it. We're in it, but we're not of it, but we're on our way in 1 Corinthians thirteen, twelve, to see him face to face. And the only thing we're taking off this earth is what Christ has finished in us and what we allowed him to finish in us when we go to see him face to face. And Father, thank you so much for your word. I just pray you would encourage us. Continually, I just pray again, and we didn't get to to finish it, uh, Father, in Isaiah forty. We didn't get to finish it there. But this is what, if you read, and I would I would ask everyone, uh, in the presence of God, that you would take and I would take the time again uh, to read Isaiah the fortieth chapter. Read what it says. Who are you going to liken him to? Who? What can what can replace him? Who? Is it a person? Is it a place? Is it, is it something? Nothing. Well, I'll just read it in my prayer, Isaiah 40:28. Have you not known? Haven't you heard that the eternal God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he doesn't faint, and he's not weary, Neither is there no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the, to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths will faint and get weary. And the young men, and this is sad, the young men will utterly fall. But they that wait, that trust him by faith without sight, they that wait upon the Lord, they will what? They will, what will they do? They will renew, they'll exchange their weakness for his strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles with a tremendous prayer life that lifts them up above the lies of this present time. And they will run this race in Hebrews twelve one to 3 and not be weary. And then they will walk. And you see right now it's a walk. And they will walk and never faint, never give up, never lose their grip, never turn coward or turn back because of his love His grace, His mercy and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.